Hello everyone, Celeste here. Today I am going to discuss the first two cannabis churches ever started in the United States of America, which is rather interesting considering the reasons behind such decisions and the founders who started this movement. But first of all, I would like to explain as a psychologist how I became involved in this continuous and rather controversial debate with the cannabis industry and the many interesting characters who support the strongly growing movement worldwide from medical, legal, political, religious and businessmen to name a few as well as psychologists. So let me begin first of all with my little background story. I was asked the other day by a church minister in Germany if I ever ever inhaled marijuana in my life or smoked it now that got me thinking yes I probably was a passive smoker the moment I set my foot onto this planet now we're talking about the very early 1960s in South Africa but again let me go back to my roots I was born in a very hot tropical area called Durban on the east coast of South Africa. Now, as far as I know, in the early 60s, many smoked weed, uh, you know, it was weed stuff or dacha as they called it. It thrived everywhere. But what does a young child know about this? I was confronted by all that qualm as a passive smoker and a joint chewer. Now you're probably wondering what am I talking about here? A child chewing on cigarettes. Well, we actually called them stompies. I think that was the Afrikaans uh, word for the leftover cigarettes which people just you know threw onto the floor of the streets. Now I, I remember my mother punishing me all the time and telling me don't pick up those stompies. Well, you know, every cigarette butt that was carelessly thrown along the wayside, I naturally picked it up and put it into my mouth. I was hooked on it. And I didn't know the difference between dacher stompies or normal cigarette stompies. Well, medically speaking, I had terrible ulcers and boils from this habit and landed up several times in a children's hospital in Durban. And to top all that, I was addicted to sugar simultaneously. So I had two addictions. On the one hand, sugar addiction, and on the other hand, cannabis. So what happened thereafter, nevertheless, um, what I'm surmising is just a cause and effect pattern that could have been, you know, as I mentioned, an innocent addiction to cannabis in the early 60s from sugar as well. Now that combination is deadly. I remember one scene, and I still have it in my memory bank, when a doctor came to visit our home and he put one of those little sticks down my throat, you know, to look at my tonsils probably, and I vomited blood all over him. So you can imagine the shock from my mother and the doctor at the same time. 
it's amazing that I'm alive today, to be honest. Anyway, Dache is actually the Afrikaans pronunciation. It's the term which is commonly referred to, as I mentioned, cannabis. It derives from the Khoi Khoi word Dache, which was used by the early European colonial settlers in the Western Cape. And I recall my past when I heard people talking about Durban poison or Swazi gold. Must have been very powerful stuff. Now, cannabis is thought to have been introduced to Africa by early Arab or Indian traders. It was already in popular use in South Africa by the indigenous Khoisan and Bantu peoples prior to the European settlement in the Cape in 1652 and was traditionally used by the Basutu to ease childbirth. Now, a lot of Africana recipes for teas and foods exist which make use of this plant. And, of course, this was associated with traditional African populations and a lower economic status during those times. But the first written record of the plant in South Africa is by Jan van Riebeek, who ordered officers of the Furman to purchase Dacha in Natal for trade with the Koikkoi. And what is very interesting is that the Dutch East India Company also attempted to establish a monopoly on its sale and to that end prohibited cultivation of the plant by Cape settlers from 18, sorry, 1680. It's a long time ago. However, you know, the ready availability of cannabis in the wild and through trade with indigenous peoples meant that there was little profit to be made. Actually, consequently, the prohibition was lifted in 1700. Now, according to Interpol, South Africa is rated as the fourth largest cannabis producer in the world. Another question is why this topic interests me. I have been a psychologist for well over a decade and have seen a lot of patients suffering from cancer tumors migraine headaches, depression, anxiety and all kinds of ailments where the pain is so unbearable. Many of them were hooked on painkillers, psychopharmaceuticals over very long periods of time and many had to increase the intake of medicine or switch to stronger drugs. It's a devil cycle. In a when you go through this with the patients themselves or with your loved ones, you know, the pain is very deep. And sometimes you feel kind of you know, helpless as well in that process. But, uh, yeah, one does what one can to ease the pain of people that you work with very closely or if they are your loved ones suffering or even dying. So, right. Now we take a look at, you know, what do these patients actually do? Many of them actually go over the borders to neighboring countries to obtain their medical cannabis supplies. And um, a lot of them report back that it does help them in many, many ways. And um, 
the positive effects, if controlled, um, by other doctors. And um, we're not using this now as a recreational drug, but for medicinal purpose. Then, of course, I do agree it should be used under controlled circumstances. And, um, you know, through my experiences over the years and a lot of interviews and videos and researching worldwide the markets, the historical aspects, talking to different pastors and ministers and rabbis, um, you know, I have a wide circle of information and I'm still learning about the business, believe it or not. You don't know everything, one just has to keep oneself on top of things and um, right so um, I need most of the time to think about you know where I'm going to get my information my reliable information sources and I have a lot on my bucket list at the moment to do this year and yeah here I am still on my cannabis journey and the topic today will be a discussion about the very first two legal cannabis churches in the United States. The first church of cannabis was founded in March 2015 by a, a Jewish man called Bill Levin, who attended in the Annapolis Hebrew Congregation, a Reformed Judaism synagogue. And the second church, Denver's International Church of Cannabis, the founder Steve Berg, he opened his doors in April 20th, 2017. So I'm just going to go briefly, first of all, with these two churches and discuss the first church of cannabis. Now, the Grand Puba or the Minister of Love, our Jewish chap, Bill Levine, he opened his doors of the first church of cannabis. Following the passage of a controversial statewide religious freedom law, though it is safe to say legislators did not intend for the new law to usher in a church like this, <laughs> Bill Levine's new Indianapolis church, he's quite a character actually, um, began its operation the day Indiana's new religious freedom law took effect. And... Um, you know, instead of the Ten Commandments, this church offers a deity dozen, including don't be an asshole. A day starts with your smile every morning. Never start a fight, only finish them and laugh often. Share humor. All points in the deity dozen, including cannabis, the healing plant, is our sacrament, he says. They are actually just suggestions. They aren't commandments, he says. There is no guilt or sin if they go unfulfilled. There's his humor. The bottom line for Levine is spread love and be grateful for what you have in life. And today Levine is excited and grateful for his new premises. Well, according to him, everybody has been crying today because we finally got our church and this building has been blessed with tears of joy. Now, a couple of years later, um, he's still running his church, and I must say it has become so popular worldwide. You know, 
he quotes, if cannabis helps us communicate with ourselves, our friends and higher deities, there's no reason we shouldn't celebrate life's great adventure together with cannabis. Bill Levine. Now we come across the other chap here. Denver's International Church of Cannabis. How does a former Bible quiz champion raised in an evangelical Pentecostal church find his way into founding a church centered on cannabis? Good question. Well, thanks to Colorado's wild west frontier of legalized marijuana, there's someone who can answer that unique question. Lee Molloy, a British guy who arrived in Denver via Miami. He is actually the co-founder of the International Church of Cannabis. The 113-year-old building housed many different religious sects before it actually became the International Church of Cannabis. Originally built as a Lutheran church known as Mount Calvary Apostolic Church, the building was later purchased by a bank of all things. This 113-year-old church on the Logan Street bursts with psychedelic murals full of geometric shapes. According to Mr. Molloy, it is pretty much a full spectrum of very bright, vivid color, rainbow-like and very inspirational. He said the works by Spanish artist Ocudua San Miguel that cover the chapel are so popular worldwide. Many people love that bright color. And this art is explained through meditation on the sacrament and finding your own meaning in it, he said. And that's part of what the elevationist experience is. I have to repeat that word again. Elevationist experience is, yes, the sacrament. Molai Moloi means using cannabis to have a spiritual experience. And when he says elevationist, that's what he and more than 30 other members call themselves. Now, what's interesting is that this church houses a religious non-profit called Elevation Ministries. Its founders have built their lives around cannabis. For example, Moloi tried marijuana as a teenager. But it wasn't until his mid-twenties that he started to indulge consistently. And around that time, he also explored Buddhism. Now, years later, those experiences have given way to the International Church of Cannabis. Right, I'm just going to skip a couple of lines and um, just mention that he comments that it's not a money-making venture in itself, but generally a community project. Okay, in Denver, it's, he's talking about a community church. Now, marijuana consumption as a sacrament or some sort of religious rite does not prohibit the city of Denver from enforcing as valid and neutral laws against open and public consumption of marijuana, he actually points out. He says the church can't grow, sell or distribute marijuana either. Well, I'm not going to 
mentioned the cherry on the top. The cannabis churches and the religious freedom restoration acts. And we're coming now to the end of this podcast. And I'm trying to keep it within its time limit. And that's why I'm ending now with this um, Religious Freedom Restoration Act of November the 16th, 1993. This was signed by President Clinton. Cannabis churches have been opening up throughout California and other states. And many of these churches have been asserting freedom of religious rights to practice cannabis as a sacrament, among other legal arguments. There is a legal firm called Cannabis Law Group, and they help you set up your cannabis church by providing you with legal advice regarding the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Their law firm can incorporate your cannabis church and prepare your religious and legal documents to show compliance with state and federal religious laws. These laws provide a shield from improper actions by authorities that extend to certain church groups and these laws may provide protection to those religious groups who use marijuana as part of their religious services. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast today. And um, yes, I had the impression that it's not an easy business, but there are a lot of law companies in the States who actually specialize in companies wanting to open up a new branch or a new medical center or a new church they could help you a lot so I must say the United States are pretty much ahead of their times in relationship to the rest of the world but again one has to consider the the ups and downs of the business and uh, do your homework well now, as I mentioned, we're coming now to the end of this podcast and I thank all of you for listening in and look forward to the next stage of our cannabis journey. All the best. Take care of yourselves. Celeste.